Welcome to Managing Marketing, a weekly podcast where we discuss the issues and opportunities facing marketing, media and advertising with industry thought leaders and practitioners. Today, I'm sitting down with Jonathan Samway, the Managing Director and Executive Producer at Established Media. Welcome, Jonathan. Welcome. Hi. Look, Jonathan, you've got a quite a substantial and quite a high-profile career in production. You've had jobs on the uh, production company side and the agency side. I imagine you've seen huge changes in the industry, not just from technology, but also the way people work. Uh, well, I have. I mean, I started in, uh, I started in the mid-'80s. And uh, I guess, you know, it was at a time when agencies really only had television or print as their output or their creative output. And obviously, since that time, it's it's splintered into you know, into a million into a million different areas. And I think the big changes that have come with that has been that uh, models that where advertising agencies have modelled themselves on on 1950, 1960 models, so have production companies. And I think we're in a period, probably in the last decade, where production companies, in particular, uh, have to now more so than ever, break out of a mould that they've put themselves into. Invariably, most production companies follow what is an English production company model. Uh, it's filled with um, one or two senior producers who are the owners. Uh, it represents a, um, a group of creative directors, film directors, uh, that are uh, not actually on staff, but they exclusively represent them in a territory. And then they'll have line producers or, or producers on staff to, da- to manage the, the day-to-day productions. As this now evolves, that's no longer a working model. Because mm. one, one of the things about that model is that there was very close relationships, wasn't there, between the production company and the agencies and particularly the creative department in the agencies. Oh, of course. Yeah, you know, the sort of creative and the directors had very sort of almost intimate relationships, didn't they? Well, and it was also, again, it was also based that you would could be a very successful Sydney director and you could turn up uh, and you could, you, could, you could literally etch out a, a living by living and working in Sydney. Uh, that is no longer the case. And that's where those relationships have gone by the by because it's, it's, an, international, it's an international game now. A director living in Sydney must have an end to a New Zealand market, must have representative, some sort of representation into the Southeast Asian market. Uh, it would be crazy not to have representation into the US market and then the UK market and then obviously one or two markets into, into Europe. That's how quickly that changed. And that has literally come about in the last 10 years. So, yes, that original model where creatives, directors could... La Griard, for example, and go, at a re- go to a restaurant on a Friday afternoon and talk through creative briefs and there was a trust built, that's no longer the case. That then uh, infers to me a fundamental change in the sort of business dynamic in that I remember, you know, the mid-80s where 
production producers and directors in that model you were talking about, often they would have uh, equal ownership or some both directors, whereas it seems now the model's much more like a talent agent in that the producer is often representing the director talent and a director could have relationships in different markets. Uh, or is it still that no, very close relationship? I, I, I think there's enough directors out there who have full ownership of production companies, whether that's shown or whether that's revealed or not. Uh, I think that the you know the 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 power is certainly back in the creative director you know in the director's hands. Uh, they are without doubt uh, the, the the most valuable asset uh, in in a, in a production company. Um, the talent. The talent, mm. absolutely. You know it's. And, and I think that's why it, it has the number of production companies expanded exponentially, but, but recently it started to contract quite considerably and consolidate, but the production companies that are left have grown. So where before there were companies that represented two or three or four, now there are companies that represent 12, 15. Mm-hmm. And, of, and of course, a lot of those are offshore because of, you know, visas are easy to get. Uh, and international phone calls, conference calls, all of that is just, you know, that was that was all mysterious things 15 years ago, but that's just part and parcel of, of producing. No one blinks an eye that a director has to fly in from the United States. I mean, whether that's whether that's merited or not, that's another that's another that's another concern. But to your point, uh, yeah, I, I do think that uh, I think directors are becoming far more because they realize that, you cannot, you cannot just rely on one market. Mm. You need to have, you know, you need to have, you need to have a stake of something in this market and possibly get represented somewhere else. Because it has become a global market for totally. talent on the production side. Interestingly, on the agency side, it's not quite as global, is it? Uh, I mean, I know there's big campaigns that become global, but those big campaigns are still coming out of New York and London. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're not yeah, coming yeah. out, you know, occasionally Auckland. Yeah, I mean, no, I agree. I Look, I agree. I think that, you know, I, creatively, look, you know, that it gets back to directors getting involved, you know, with a, with a production. We'll look at it and, you know, they, they want to get involved. Obviously, financially, it's got to be viable. But at the same time, they are weighing up creatively, which is the better, you know, which is the better project to, to pick. And the better projects, uh, you know, and were here, but are, are now everywhere else in the world. So that's why you must have a suitcase as a director to, uh, you know, and I look and, you know, there's a part of me that I sort of feel sorry for a lot of these bigger name directors who literally just live out of a suitcase because you follow their Instagram accounts or their Facebook accounts and you, they're shooting in one other Eastern European city because it's a low-cost centre, down to South Africa because it's another low-cost centre, off to Mexico because it's another low-cost centre, off to Buenos Aires because it's, yet again, another low-cost centre. But they're just constantly travelling. But you're a big um, uh, champion and believer in Australia's ability to compete. I I firmly believe, like any other, but, but everyone says this about their own country, I firmly believe we have world's best in, in, in Australia. I believe there is, if you can't find the location here, uh, you know, we, we can build it. And I believe that the studio systems here, everything, I just believe it is absolutely world class. And, of course, we cannot, when we compete globally to bring production here, 
invariably we can't compete on cost. We can't. I mean, we've got some, you know, we've got a country, not even two hours flying time in New Zealand, which runs 10% or, or 15% cheaper than us year round. Uh, however, I do believe that the infrastructure here and the crewing and experience here, that's where we have to, and we keep promoting that. And that's, that's what brings the bigger productions here, the Marvel series, the, you know, of course there's incentives from, from uh, government and, and, that, and that runs, you know, that runs that top end of the business. But that, that's almost like a table state because almost every country, and in the US even state by state, True, but at the same time, you know, we're lucky. You know, we're we look, we're very lucky that you know we've got we've we've had actors and, and actresses that have forged the way into the United States, and therefore a one-stop flight between LA and, and Sydney allows that that ease of. That's why we're you know that's why we're successful. Um, that's why South America or South Africa just doesn't have that. Well, they'll pick up the commercial production, but they just won't pick up the bigger. The bigger Netflix, the bigger Disney um, productions that uh, everyone's everyone wants to do. Now you've jumped to what I call long form, yep. you know, because the commercials were traditionally called short form. You know, it was uh, 30, 60, 90, maybe one twenty. Uh, that's changed a little bit, you know, with the internet uh, uh, format oh, could be almost any length yeah, you any wanted length to now. be. But from your experience and and thinking back. You know, when you're running you know, your own production company and even before that, what was the tipping point where production companies went from being able to exist just on advertising to having to, you know, be long form, short form, any form, or were they always like that? Uh, well, you know, I think, you know, there, there was always, there's always been a very healthy, you know, a very healthy uh, delineation in Australia between what people do. I, you know, uh, it's interesting. I started my career in France where in France you would work with, with directors or crew that would one day be doing a television series, the next day they'd be doing a, a they'd be doing a feature film and then they'd come on to a TV commercial. They didn't see any, they were almost agnostic. It was a camera and they just turned up. Uh, in Australia we never had that. You know, TV world was always, you know, well, you know, you do TV because it was, it was electronic, it was video, and we were, you know, pure film. in the sense that we were 35 mil film, and then we had, you know, then we had the feature films. And never the twain sort of mixed around. Now, obviously, there were there were people coming up the whole time in the commercial world because that's how they got their break, especially DOPs and other like that, that broke, broke that ground. Um, but it wasn't until, I don't really believe, until probably the late 90s that that, that ground really became way more. And that was the introduction, from my point of view, of, of the big American series coming out to Australia because they had to be crewed at a level uh, that we'd just never seen before. Uh, you know, examples like that of The Matrix, for example, when they came out, I mean, you know, they were, they were looking to crew. They couldn't get it from their, their traditional source of film people. So therefore, they went into the they went into the commercial world, mm. and then once in that world, people started to it was, and I think when the ebb and flow of commercial work uh, became more apparent uh, during the mid two thousands, uh, people would hang you know people would accept less because again we had this weird structuring in Australia where you I mean I can look at a piece of paper and crew can literally get paid uh, over 
quite a few different pay scales depending on the project, mm. you know, feature film, project, uh, music videos, commercials. But a lot of people chose to go and do feature films simply because of the longevity of it. it. It got away from the project, project to project because... You get weeks and weeks of work rather than a few days. And also the fact there was an explosion. You know, it was, mm. it was the mid-'80s that the communications courses were introduced into universities and then suddenly communication became... And everyone, you know, it, it became an area that people really became interested in. And, of course, journalism and things... But the creative industry really exploded. When I first started, I believe the statistic was there was probably about, uh, I think there was about four, four and a half thousand people in the, in the early 80s that could actually say, I work in the film industry. Well, I mean, if you were to look at those numbers now, it would be, it would, it would be times 30 or 40 that, that number, if not more, mm. that reliant on the film industry. Part of that is that it's become so much easier for people to yeah. work in the film industry. And part of that as well, you know, because I hear a lot of people talk about how technology, you know, the digital uh, technology has made it easier for people, you know, to shoot things. But it still comes down to talent, doesn't it? Well, that's right. I mean, I, I remember listening to a, I remember listening to a, a, an interesting lecture uh, not so long ago of, uh, it's called the Keith Richard principle of when Keith Richard's mother uh, brought home a mass-produced uh, Japanese guitar and that was the only way that Keith would have been able to learn the guitar and from there, therefore, it became uh, musical instruments for the masses. Mm. But at the same time, you still needed to have the ability, I mean, We've gone through this revolution where, you know, digital cameras have become cheaper and cheaper and cheaper to the point where everyone was like, oh, my God, well, we can just, we can go out with SLR cameras and we can film everything. But at the same time, having worked with some of the best, a camera, it doesn't matter. If it's a, yeah, it's not the equipment. A hundred thousand dollars. That's yeah. right. We, we all know that. And yeah. I mean... You know, Except that, do we know it? Do, have we done a good job at informing, for no. instance, advertisers? Because I've sat in a room where a uh, marketer has actually played their 15-year-old son music video for his friend's band and said, look, he shot that on his iPhone and look how good it is. I know, and God bless that 15-year-old. And it didn't cost anything. I know, God bless that 15-year-old. But at the same time... I really do believe with the explosion of the Netflix, the Hulus, the HBOs, the stands and all of that, people are understanding what good storytelling is. People understand what good production values are because they can see it. And it, it, it runs in complete contrast to, and you can see that whether the, the commercial stations in Australia, 7, 9 and 10, they have to up the ante. The production values they bring in uh, are suddenly now way elevated. And it doesn't even matter if it's if it's a, a program that I'm not particularly enamoured with, like The Block, but you can, I can still see the production process in that. That is a massive production process that would go on behind the scenes to produce, just, you know, to produce five couples renovating a house. But if you take that all the way back, sure, I do believe it's a slow education process. And, you know, and at one particular point, you're, you've got cinemas, only filled with mega blockbusters of Marvels and that whole franchise alike, uh, that whole middle area of, of feature film area has, has disappeared and you've got independent, small independent films. But I still think at the end of the day, it's, you know, that 
that crafting. And of course, we've all gone through, you know, I've got someone who can do it cheaper, I've got someone who can do it cheaper. But, but the end result is always, as we know, uh, um, it's, 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 it's the storytelling. Well, you would have seen uh, budgets for um, Australian advertisers producing commercials in Australia decrease over time. Well, uh, decrease or remain exactly exactly the same. So. When I first started, when I came back to Australia in '96, I was handed uh, a budget uh, uh, at uh, George Patterson Bates, where I worked. And uh, I was told at the time, now I'd just come back from Paris where I was working on very big budgets because they were worldwide campaigns. And I understood the process. However, the budget at the time I think was $250,000 to produce a 30-second TV commercial. I fast forward uh, 25 years and that client is still spending $250,000 to produce a 30-second commercial. And nothing's changed. Mm. But... In 25 years, I mean, that's, it's, it's, I, I think it's miraculous that, one, it can still be produced for, to the level of expectation that the client wants, but I, I, I marvel at just how production companies have had to adapt to a landscape of where, well, that's, you know, a precedent was set, but 25 years later, it's still the same precedent. Well, something has changed. And it's the part of the mix that even the creative agencies don't acknowledge, which is the client's media investment behind that television commercial has actually dropped in real terms. Mm. You know, because in real terms, their budgets overall, their marketing budget's the same, but now with the same money, they have to not only do the TV uh, media and production, they're also doing the Facebook media and production, the oh. uh, you know, and everything else. There's so many more channels with the same amount of money. And so this is what's putting pressure on this. No, oh, yeah. look, it's, it's... Fragmentation. The fragmentation, and, and I get it. I get it. But at the same time, I... And I don't want to sort of go, I came from an era, but I do. I do come from an era where, I, you know, I worked at a very big agency, you know, McCann Erickson in... In Paris, and uh, you literally had a handful of people who were running a worldwide account mm. because it was television and print, and you could all sit around the one table and make decisions based on all of that. And they were running, you know, they were they were running uh, clients that that would would equal possibly nearly most of the revenue of of the top thirty agencies in. In Australia, they were they were big, 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 big numbers, and but they were the only channels available to mm. people at that particular time. Um, but I have sat round tables recently where you sit and um, the client gets introduced, and you know there's PR and there's experiential and there's direct marketing and there's you know production and and as it goes round, everybody's quite rightly is putting their hand out and saying, "Well, I need money. I yeah. need money for it." Well, by the end, but it's still only going to go back to what is produced at the very end. And that's always become, I sort of think, as I well and truly observed in the last decade, the poor cousin to to it all because I just feel that production has just been pushed further and further down uh, the chain. And there will be other people who disagree uh, with with my observation, but I... But, you know, I still remember, sorry, I still remember, you know, going to the Cannes Festival, uh, advertising festival um, in 
84, 85, and it only ran for, it literally ran for 30 minutes because it was only film. Mm. And you all sat in an auditorium and these are the bronze, these are the silver, and they gave out, I don't know, five or six gold and, and there was no best to show and that was it. And, and it, was, it, it was very focused in terms of, but the, the, the films that were there, the filmmakers that were there, the thoughts, the campaigns, the campaigns that would only be one campaign in a year. And I've worked with uh, Remy Babinet, who is still um, the executive creative director of BETC in, in Paris, and he still maintains that ethos of keep it all together and just do one campaign. Canal Plus is a very uh, good example of that, or Evian that we worked uh, with in uh, quite a few years back with the Roller Baby uh, campaign. Just one campaign a year and they span and they craft and they keep working it, they get scriptwriters in, all of that to get something at the very end that when it did come to the PR or experiential, the direct marketing, they really had something, really had something to, to push. It's interesting because that's a, a philosophy which is get the core premise right, yep. execute that well, and then it will then amplify across multiple channels. Whereas the other way is, well, here's the money for multiple channels. Now let's come up with something that we can feed it. Feed it. And and I, again, I, it's, it's, it's disheartening when you do that because you realise in the, and I just talked about the production area, it's disheartening that not all the time you budget-wise, time-wise, whatever-wise, you just don't have the tools to, to, to realise what everyone's sitting around a table envisaging in their head. It's just like, I hear what you want, mm. but this, this what we've got on the table does not answer. It, just, it can't do the heavy lifting you're asking it to do. Now, I just want to change direction a bit, Jonathan, and, sure. and talk about the different ways that marketers, agencies work with production companies. And I'll give you the two extremes. There's one approach which is very popular with a lot of you know, consumer packaged goods, which is they will re you know, they'll get the agency to write scripts, they'll do animatics, they'll storyboard it, and then they literally hand it to the production company to make to the animatic. That's the first. At the other extreme is where increasingly we're noticing agencies will come up with an idea, but then they will choose a director to really bring that idea to life. So that the script could change significantly from what's presented to the client to what appears on the screen because of the input of the director. Now, do you think, do you have an opinion on, is any one of those ways going to deliver better value oh. or is it horses for course? Well, put, I, well, one is far more definable. I mean, I've certainly been on the receiving end and only just recently because of, of uh, US clients where a storyboard and then an animatic and an animatic is cut and the timings are all done. I mean, there is no guesswork in, in terms of it. You, you're, it's purely a production process. You are literally looking to replicate that in a real-world situation. And from a price point point of view, you literally could send that to five production companies and they, I mean, you would hope, they would come back within 1% or 2% of each other because they're literally reading a how-to-do how manual. The next one, which creatively is, is, you know, the one I enjoy, 
but it, it but it requires it requires a steady hand because you can't set a budget to you know to creativity when you especially when you're giving a you know I wouldn't say a vague brief but you're certainly giving a brief to a director and and to say to them because it it, it it's almost impossible to start writing something and at the same time as a you know envisioning it in your head and thinking, okay, well, no, hang on, I've only got, I've got to fit this all into a two-day shoot. And so hang on, no, take that out, put this in, but take that out. you just got to write it. Mm. And at the very end of it, then you've got to explore the possibilities of how you would execute that. And I think that's where the surprise factor comes in for agencies, which is like, well, hang on, well, hang on. This, is, this is double what we had in terms of budget, but we love it. And it's like, well, you know, be careful what you ask for because you just may get it because... If you've given, you've put, if you've put a good, talented director at the starting blocks and said, now run with this and see where you get to, unfortunately, you know, in Australia we're still with, you know, we're still in a crowing situation where after, you know, after a certain number of hours of, of the day, we're getting into 15-minute increments, you know, and times that by 40, 50 people. You, you make mistakes in an area, it, it's, it's costly. Production is expensive. You know, it's, it's not cheap exercise to bring 40 people together for three days in a location and at the end have a guaranteed piece of communication that will drive sales at the very end of it. That costs money. So when you go back to those two solutions, yes, one is, but if that animatic, as we've all seen, and it's and the ones I get from the, the US, I mean, they're animated. I mean, they're, they're like, they're, they literally could be put to wear because they're animated pieces. You think, wow. But you cannot, you know, there is no derivation from that. But you already know that that has been backwards and forwards and focus oh, and groups it's been and through link testing. Link testing, and, and so by the time end, it's really just, it's really, and it's color coded to the to the company's logo, everything. Yeah. Where the other one, but the other one is, you know, that's that's the hope of the side. The other one, I look, I, I have very rarely worked on an with with something from an animatic that has gone on and had built a campaign that has gone into number two and number three. It's, 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 it's come from a client who is, you know, understands the process, but also financially everything. There is absolutely no surprise. In fact, there is almost no need to even turn up for the shoot because there's the animatic. You just come back with, and I've, we've seen the talent. We, we, we know the locations. It's like, I don't need to be there. Well, the way uh, technology is going, you might be able to just program it in, and a, and a computer could generate it for you. <laughs> well, we hope not. We hope not. Because, no, but, that, yeah. but, but but I agree. I agree. I mean, I look. I'm all for the creative process, but I think that's where my frustrations occur. In that, in that, allowing that creative process. You know, when we in a creative process, when a, when an agency sends out a storyboard. And they send it to a production company. The first thing they ask for is, you know, it's a telephone call between, the, you know, the director and the creatives. They all discuss it. And we all, okay, we understand the parameters and we understand the background for it. And this has been worked on for many, many months to get to this particular point, And the client has signed off on this piece of creative. Great. And at that particular point, you also realize that the writer or the, or the art director, they also have a very specific look or feel or, or an outcome in their, in their head. And that's why they've chosen the three or four directors to pitch on it because of the styles that mm-hmm. that, that director. However, once the director writes the treatment, that treatment then becomes, you know, it, 
it's very difficult at that particular point because a treatment is really just a creative is a creative vision. Mm. But at that particular point, a production company's got to literally in, in Australia, nail and, and must maintain that cost. In but other they words, can actually achieve it within well, the Well, it, it's yeah. like here I've written here I've written a book. Or yeah. I've written I've written short prose for three three pages or eight pages or twenty pages, but here is an absolute cost. And then this is the part that never gets get, never gets really discussed because an agency will have a very fixed cost in their head, and then a creative team will read a treatment, and we all know this, and it's like, wow, well, you know, I love it. You know, the imagery, the whatever, I can see it. Wow, I want it. But there is a reality. And, and it's not that this director has gone off on a tangent and is trying to just be silly about it, but it's a competitive world. And, and it's like, well, how do, you, how do you dove wedge that back into this cost that was, you know, this cost that was derived over here? And sometimes that's easy. You know, it's, it's shave a bit of this off, shave a bit of that off. But a lot of times it's very, very difficult because mm. as the producer on a job, you're also playing devil. You know, you're yeah. you're sitting between a director who's got a vision and wants to only do the job because they've got that vision. You've got a creative who will ring you going, we love his vision. But then I've got to talk, you know, I've got to talk behind the scenes to someone who says, yeah, but we've only got X amount of dollars. So, you know, if you want to be considered, everyone's just got to, you've got to, and then it becomes our responsibility or it becomes everyone's or the post-production company's responsibility to, to, to squeeze it all in, to feel, to, 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 main, to, to get that over the line. Isn't part of this, though, a inability often for people to write to budgets? I mean, is it, it must be frustrating for directors to get a great script and then be told that, well, the budget really doesn't support the script. Uh, yes and no. Yes, yes. Like within, it, it, I'm yes. talking about not within a dollar. I'm talking about a, you know, no, no, a no. no. I, 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 I hear you. Because I, I, you know, I, I... I've seen so many, like, amazing scripts... But the budget was on day one set at say half a million dollars, and there was no oh, way that that script could ever be delivered I, for half a million dollars. I, so why was it presented to the client in the first place? Why was it put through research? You know, this is the first fundamental stumbling block for me. Yeah, well, I couldn't agree more. Having started in an agency um, world and moved into uh, production, it is it's it never it it's it's a it it is a frustration that you are constantly thinking uh, and and this is look and this is given this is given rise to you know to finding cheap places in the world to shoot mm. i mean i mean qantas is the only winner out of out of out of all of this because they don't they're they're, they're non-negotiable in their in their airfares but suddenly we're in kiev suddenly mm. we're in chile suddenly we're in in places that you think, why are we here? Well, let's cut to the chase. We're here because it's cheap. Mm. You know, we can kid ourselves, but we're here because it's cheap. And we can dress it up and it's it's oh, it's all location and whatever, but it's cheap. And, and that's driving, that is driving a lot of South African uh, production, a lot of South American, and a lot of Eastern Europe. Eastern Europe, has ex- Prague has exploded in the last 15 mm. years because of that, and what is it? It's because of the expectations and com- production companies trying to maintain turnover, but also a profit margin. Mm. So it's interesting. Um, I've rarely met 
production people that are not trying to put maximum value onto the screen, like directors and producers in most cases, because they're so judged by their last campaign, right? Agencies, you've got the creative people that are trying to put the idea onto the screen, but then there's the business part of it that's also trying for the agency to keep the money they need to stay in business. And then you've got the client at the end of that who's sitting there going, I don't have enough money <laughs> yeah, I, <laughs> to do any I, of this, but, hey, the agency told me they could fix it. I, I'm i with you. I'm, I'm with you. I mean, you know, production at one particular point, I mean, it's it, look, it, it's... For for good production companies, it's very it's a very it's a it's a very stressful process because you you attract the talent the directors to stay with your company because of the believe they believe that you will bring them a quality scripts. Mm-hmm. If you're only throwing around fifty thousand hundred thousand dollars script, no one of quality is going to stay with you. I'm sorry, but they just won't. So you're, you're looking for the high-end car commercials, the high-end alcohol commercials, the high-end commercials that have travel, that have three to four days of shooting, that allow, you know, good post-production techniques to be, uh, you know, to be used in good production values all the way through. Um, you're then in that, you're stuck because, you know, you can also be caught out that you've shown a director the script. And uh, it's not always announced on the same day. And this is another problem, what the budget is. You know, I get a lot of, we're just working through final numbers and we'll send it <laughs> to you. And you've already sent that to a director. Director looks and goes, oh, my God, I've got to, we've got a pitch on this. We've got a pitch on this. Because of the creative. Uh, because of the creative. And, and you, you know, and suddenly you, you're getting text messages or emails at, late at night saying, I know exactly we could be doing this. We could be shooting this in LA, you know. And I've looked looked at that. And as soon as I see the script, I can tell you within a dollar how much that's going to cost. And then you wait for that phone call, and it's you. It's like, oh well, we've got half that amount of money. And of course, the first thing you don't want to do is go, oh well, this is just ridiculous. How dare you send it to me? Because again, this is a this is a business where you uh, it's you know you're servicing a client the entire time, mm-hmm. so you've got to be seen as can do, and can do is then I've got to ring the director and say, well maybe not L.A. Maybe what about if we go to we Auckland. go to well we go to Broken Hill because it's got that look, or we could go down and what about you are constantly negotiating one up and constantly negotiating one down, and you've got to keep. I look at because at the end you win no prizes as we all know there's no tv ad that that is played with a disclaimer before it that says hey this ad only had $250,000 and 4 weeks of pre-production <laughs> that's right they all play and everyone thinks they had unlimited budget unlimited time and it was that no one's there's no boardroom nothing mm. it's just it's that's how you see it so when people show their work I mean, we, you know, has given rise to the director's cut. Why? Because, you know, a director will finish it and then will then go back and go, all right, those four shots they took out, I need them to be post-produced, which is, you know, a lot of work, money that someone has to put in somewhere along the line. And then it's only shown on a reel. But it shows, well, this is how I, you know. That's the director's vision. That's how I would have done it. Not what was ended up being produced. And that's not always the case, but. So, So we're at a very interesting point. Uh, from my perspective, because I'm starting to see so much more flexibility in the approach to production. 
Yes. Yeah, part of that's been driven by technology, part of it's uh, the, the money that's around, part of it's all of the new formats. You know, you were talking about streaming is driving longer term formats, YouTube channels and things like that. Or, you know, on the other way, we've gone to six second ads, you know, and things like that. It's also meant that we're increasingly seeing new ways of thinking. You know, we're now seeing a lot of production companies working directly with advertisers. Mm -hmm. We're seeing um, some of these companies that are sort of uh, collating or, you know, brokering a whole lot of production talent through global platforms and Mm -hmm. things like that. We're seeing uh, agencies are sometimes building or trying to bring more production capabilities in-house. Do you have a vision of where marketers, because the marketers have the money, so ultimately they have the most influence on, on the future of this production. Is there some things that marketers should be thinking about? Oh, um, I mean, I can give a snapshot of the last probably three months of, of the projects that I've been working on. And they involve working with big agencies that a client has gone to, and you can see why they've gone to a big agency, because like we said before, they have a lot of direct marketing, they have a lot of PR, they have they have a lot of things, mm-hmm. not just a TV commercial or, or a piece of content they've got to produce. Um, and you can see that for them to move out of that, that big, that big full-service agency model just wouldn't make any sense at all. Um, but there are increasingly more clients that are looking for a affiliates or a collection of, of companies that can interact with each other but not be under one, mm-hmm. under one roof. And I certainly have been part of that where client will come to me directly. Uh, They have taken the creative from someone who is literally just performed the task of providing great creative for a piece of content. And there is a, you know, there is a, there is a trust there that they don't need that mm. they need so someone the, the option of the, count, cut, cutting out the middleman in a way. Well, it's, well, but it requires a client who is hands on and is not just going to. Well, you know, I've got I need lots of handlers around me. It's somebody who under, well and truly understands the process, but also understands that that to really, you know, in some of the campaigns I've looked at, the the, the amount of money that has been put into the production because it didn't go through the original way has been 50% or 60% mm-hmm. more uh, and therefore everything from from the talent all the way down it it, it just sheds a completely different light mm-hmm. on on what they get at the very end and they're in the minority those types of clients but I do think with you know with there's a lot of brands in Australia uh, that are being run out of out of the US uh, and out of Europe. And I think there are people, marketing directors in Australia who are looking at how do we do this differently um, uh, than we've done previously. And I often find that, uh, especially marketers, um, they don't know what they don't know. They don't know what to ask for. They don't know what's even possible because they are so used to working in a traditional way, you know, going to an agency and... And, and yet, 
there's now a, a, an evolving group. You know, we're seeing marketers now that are using uh, creative collectives to generate yeah. creative yeah. ideas. Well, you know, and they're and they're you know deconstructing the process in a way, so that they can build something that works specifically for them. And and at the moment, I get the feeling that that is marketing director specific, as opposed to you know. Once that person leaves, that can flip back the other. That can flip back the other way. But I'm seeing more of it. I mean, you know, we're our offices in in Surrey Hills. I mean, when I moved in in 2002, there was there was nothing there. You know, 18 years later, you know, every every second building in Surrey Hills is a creative is a creative company. So there has been a lot of fragmentation. A lot of clients experimenting with lots of different ideas on how to to do it. Um, that doesn't always lead back to, you know, my area, which is the you know the content uh, production. But it gets back to what you said before, which is production companies having to break away from a very established idea of what that model is, executive producers, directors, and producers into 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 morphing into companies that creatively can take on. Mm talking to directly. I mean, there was a long time where, you know, production companies would all say, oh, you know, just let me talk directly to the client. I could just solve all this. Yeah. But they don't realise it. it's there's a lot more than just clients. The are politics just, and the... Well, yeah, it's the, not even that. The client's just not looking for a piece of content to be produced. Yeah. They're looking for other things to, to, yeah. to come up with. Um, that said, the production company now have realised that they need, and they are, they're getting strategists involved, they're getting account service people involved, but they're careful because they only work and have only ever worked on a project-based business model. They can't take on all over, over that overhead. Yeah. So people have to multitask and they have to be very strategic about when they bring people on or they have these, they have these affiliate companies around them that, a bit like the, you know, a bit like the, Village Square in yeah. in Old England, where people would all come together to go out and slay Which the dragon. Which is a much more agile way of, of working, course. and that's what everyone's talking about: is how can we make the whole process of going to market more agile? And and I have been in meetings where the person who's made the introduction, whether it's the production company or uh, or whoever, white label everybody else in the room, mm. and everybody else walks in. And nobody walks in with their own business cards and says, well, I'm from this company. And suddenly there's six different business cards. There is a set protocol of everyone sits around, everyone takes the brief. Then it's discussed after the client leaves of, okay, we all know our working conditions on how we can contribute. So it looks cohesive in, in front of that. But the wonderful thing is I'm not reliant on just this being in this meeting with this group of people because this is happening with many mm. different groups around around the city. Jonathan, we've run out of time. Thank but you. But it's been fascinating. And thank you for making the time and coming out in the chat. Not at all. Uh, one last question before we go. What is the single piece of work that you're most proud of and you would most want to be known for producing? Mm.